he's like a you know 19th century bare knuckle boxer who's <laughs> also from the future. Like, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, welcome back to another exciting installment of the greatest podcast in the world, according to me, uh, Bands, Beers, and Buzzwords, the show where you talk about your favorite music, and I tried to get you drunk doing so. Uh, tonight, we have a very, very special occasion. Uh, we are actually coming to you live with some slight latency from the top secrets, Redefining Records, recording facility deep in the heart of Costa Mesa, California. Uh, for the first time in several months, I have a guest with me face-to-face here, uh, Mr. Matt Pelletier of the Hypno Rings. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent, sir. Let me just um, let me just tell the listeners at home uh, that this uh, top secret recording studio is uh, looks pretty neat in here. It's got some nice stuff up on the walls. Digging it. Thank you, man. You know, even though it's a top secret uh, military style uh, research facility where we carry out all sorts of insane experiments, we we hired an, an interior designer to come in and put up some stuff on the yeah. walls. It's is that a uh, original pressing Dark Side of the Moon up there? Um, that is a uh, it's a it's a repress. It's not a '73 pressing, but it is from the '70s. Yeah. Um, it's it's, beat the shit. It's beat the shit. It's unplayable. I've tried to play it. Uh-huh. Um, it's super warped, super fucked up, but I love the way it looks, right? Like that mm-hmm. that kind of water damage on there, it, it's that perfect kind of golden ratio, right? Yeah. And you can still see the logo. So that's why I put it in there. I just think it's so cool looking, mm-hmm. you know? So I put it up there. That's, you know, I sit here and I'll record and sometimes I'll glance at that. And that's my reminder that sometimes, you know, sometimes like less is more, yeah, you know, yeah, that's exactly. the, the DG approach. Um, that's cool. I'll have to DG post a approach. That's uh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to post a picture of that on, on Instagram now to go along. That's pretty cool. Um, dude, well, hey, uh, Pink Floyd is freaking awesome. And there is a small Pink Floyd connection to this uh, album or at least one of these musicians. But, uh, we're not talking about Pink Floyd today, are we? No, we are not. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the band King Crimson and the album Discipline. Yes, sir, dude. This is a cool one, man. Um, I like I like I told you, I, I've been uh, telling you to come on for a while here, and uh, I'm excited to have you. And I was really excited. I was anticipating like what album you would pick. I knew you would pick something cool. There was like a very tiny, tiny part of me that thought you would pick like a Britney Spears album or something just to be, <laughs> just to be, you know, out there. But uh, no, I knew you'd pick something cool, man. And uh, I gotta say, uh, this one exceeded my expectations. You know, cool. um, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the earlier King Crimson stuff, late '60s, early '70s. Uh, so this was like a total eye opener. Um, but we'll get into that. I, I think you have some stuff to say about the context of this album, right? Yeah, absolutely. It. Nice. Well, uh, before we do that, uh, we have to uh, we have to plug some very important people here. Um, like I said, there's the uh, group that made this whole beautiful uh, research facility possible. That's Redefining Records. They're the uh, 
music blog slash uh, cult that uh, we are all a part of here. And um, you can find them at redefiningrecords.com. It's a cool music blog. Uh, there's some cool articles on there, music reviews. Um, you can find our sister podcast, Sounds for Thought, on there uh, or on Spotify or wherever else. Um, that's a cool one. That's Andrew Schultz, our fearless leader. He does uh, that podcast where indie musicians get to come on and talk about their own music and their own musical uh, process. He's recently had uh, Tyler from Diners and Sean from The Shakes. Uh, he's had some pretty big names on there, so uh, totally worth checking out. Um, I am Delta Dagger Music on Instagram. Uh, you can find updates for this podcast there, uh, music, memes, my own personal music, which I occasionally work on. Um, Matt, do you have any uh, pluggables for us? Uh, my only social media is at the Hypno Rings on Instagram. Be sure to check that one out. It's short and sweet, but uh, it is well worth a follow. Uh, they, uh, the Hypno Rings put out some cool stuff, especially if you like uh, this King Crimson type music. Right on. Um, let's talk about music news. <laughs> All right, today in music news, um, we have found a very uh, special and serendipitous uh, moment here. Uh, in this day in 1975, uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention released their seminal record, One Size Fits All. Uh, this is the one with the big red sofa on the front. And Matt, you were telling me earlier there's actually more to that sofa than just aesthetics, right? Yeah, uh, it's uh, another one of Zappa's conceptual continuity things. So going back, that album's in 75, uh, but going back to like 1970, um, when the Turtles, Mark and Howard, were the front men for the Mothers, uh, they would do like a little stage banter thing that involved uh, God, the Heavenly Father himself, uh, creating the universe. And he starts by uh, willing into existence uh, Red Sofa. <laughs> And so then that's, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's if you're looking at the album cover, that's that's God then, right? Smoking yeah, the cigar. Yeah, yeah, he's smoking a cigar. You can see his hand in the cigar coming out. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. I gotta I gotta say that's a funny connection. My last guest, uh, Bob Zaney, famous comedian. He is a cigar chomping comedian. He's famous for bringing a cigar on stage, and um, he actually opened for the Turtles decades ago. And, uh, That's he, wild. He grew up in uh, West Covina, so kind of similar area to, to Zappa um, out there. So, yeah, funny, funny connection. Um, it's funny, too, that we mentioned Pink Floyd and now Zappa, and several musicians on this record have connections to those guys. So uh, we're, we're warming you up here, guys. Uh, I do have to stop you. Mention Frank Zappa is your first buzzword. All right. <laughs> here we go. So guys, if you're tuning in for the first time here, the way the buzzwords portion of Bands, Beers, and Buzzwords works is I have a bingo card here of 20 buzzwords. These are words, phrases, tropes, things like that. Um, they're specifically tailored to Mr. Matt here, as well as this album. Uh, if he mentions any of these things, he has to take a drink. Um, I'm gonna be baiting him into these things throughout the uh, episode here. Um, you guys are welcome at home to crack open a beverage of choice, and if you can do so safely and responsibly, 
uh, drink along with us. Um, in fact, let's take a moment here and cut, and uh, I will tell you the buzzwords for this week. My dog ate the buzzwords this week. Just drink every time you hear the air horn and every time they get off topic. See ya. All right, those are the buzzwords. Uh, again, Matt does not know those buzzwords. You do. I do. Uh, and we're going to have a little fun tonight. Uh, Matt, why don't you remind us one more time what album you're talking about? We are talking about the album Discipline by the band King Crimson. Yes, this is a sick one, man. Um, why did you choose this album? Uh, well, King Crimson is a super interesting band. Uh, I put them in easily into my top five uh, groups of all time. And Discipline just comes at a really interesting period uh, in their history. Uh, so there's a, a whole lot of stuff to talk about. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, dude. Um, you're right. This is a super interesting one. Like I said, I'm familiar with some of uh, King Crimson's earlier work. <clears throat> uh, the listeners that, I mean, you have probably, you might not even know it, but you've probably heard a little King Crimson. They're uh, probably their most famous song, 21st Century Schizoid Man, was sampled by Kanye West. So you may was not it even really? know. It was. It was. Oh, um, <laughs> well, Kanye West also sampled uh, Steely Dan and a couple. He, he has some pretty good taste in who he samples. I'll, I'll give them Interesting. that. Yeah. Um, Steely Dan is another one I need to get on this part. I've been pining for so long to get a Dan record on here. Anyways, that's besides the point. Um, so you told me an interesting story about how uh, you kind of heard this album for the first time, or at least in your like earlier years, you were really kind of uh, spreading the, the gospel of King Crimson. Why, why don't you tell that story? Yeah, well, that was interesting. It's just uh, – for the longest time, you couldn't find King Crimson on iTunes. Um, this is even before streaming was really a thing. But for the first couple of years of Spotify, you couldn't find it. Actually, up until only a little less than a year ago, uh, Robert Fripp, the the founder of King Crimson and the um, the main guy, it's really King Crimson is him, uh, refused to put anything online. So if you didn't have the vinyl or the CDs, you didn't listen to it. Um, and I had the CDs. I, I found all the CDs, and I used to just pass them around to people. And I kind of felt like a drug dealer for a while, getting, <laughs> just getting people hooked on Crimson. Yeah. So I'm stoked to get another one with you because you said you had never listened to this album. Yeah, this was a new one to be in. And like I said, it, it kind of uh, broke all my expectations. You know, having been familiar with their earlier stuff, um, this was a total change of pace. And you know, hearing a little bit about the context of this album, like you mentioned, where it came at in their career, it, it makes sense that this is totally different. And I really got to hand it to Robert Fripp. Um, you know, this is something where if King Crimson had never made this album, like if they had just quit, right, if they'd never reformed and, and remade their sound and they just quit, they would still to this day be remembered as an institution of prog rock. Absolutely. You know, uh, but they didn't just do that. They didn't just settle for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Fripp and uh, I guess Bill Bruford, too, yeah. uh, had the courage to completely remake this band and completely remake, uh, you know, reinvent themselves and put this out. And it was such a good decision. Yeah. And at, at a time when so many of the classic prog bands were completely selling out and just releasing crap. I mean, so many of the, the giants of 70s prog as they went into the 80s were just not releasing cool stuff anymore and king crimson is really 
to me by far the best band of that style in the 70s to make it into the 80s and still be playing the music of the future yeah absolutely man like who i'm, I'm thinking of like uh owner of a lonely heart like what uh um that's yes okay mention yes one of the buzzwords oh, <laughs> faded right into that one but um no <laughs> you're so right though because that's a great example yeah uh, owner of a lonely heart which and is actually a- yes is kind of one of the better ones once you start yeah. like uh one of my favorite prog bands is emerson lake and palmer oh, i don't yeah. know if you've ever listened to much of them but they released like love beach i don't know if you've ever even like just take a look at the the album cover for love beach and you'll bury your face in your hands it's so oh, bad okay. okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pull it up real quick yeah or like the stuff genesis was doing in the 80s oh no <laughs> like so so many cool bands from the 70s just bro no love it's bad, beach yeah Dude, this looks like freaking um uh you know Boz Skag's Silk Degrees? No. Oh, okay. This looks like a yacht rock album. Yeah, cover. it's it's horrible. Yeah, that's so bad. God damn. Uh that's gnarly. Um <laughs> that's really funny. Um dude, so that I mean that's a great point. Cause cause you're right. Owner of a Lonely Heart, I mean, very uh you know, kind of um like you said, sort of sellout or like um well, whatever you want to call it, but still a cool song. Like I, yeah, I get down no, with that song. I, yeah, I like it. And there's some interesting like sound effects in there and stuff. Like I mm-hmm. thought it was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, man, uh, this one you want to talk about sound effects? Well, let's do it. Let's talk about the very first song, "Elephant Talk." Um, my first thing I want to say about this song, I cannot remember the last time that I sat down and listened to a guitar solo. And halfway through the guitar solo, started questioning if I was actually listening to a guitar. Now, is this the first solo in the song or the second solo? Um, no, this would be the second solo. Uh, okay. The first solo actually completely—I did not know that was a guitar. Yeah. So yeah. that one actually—that one's that Fripp's. completely. Yeah. That Fripp plays that Fripp one. Fripp plays the first one, and okay. it's so like it's just like a bizarre thing. Yeah, it's like he's using a, it's a guitar or it's something? a guitar synthesizer. It's the the Roland uh GR303. So guitar synthesizers were brand new. Yeah. You know, it's the huge floor uh rig that the guitar plugs into. It's a cool looking guitar. Um it's not like the Allen Holdsworth futuristic right, right. it, it looks like a guitar. <laughs> um but it just has a big floor unit. Um and yeah, that's what Fripp's solo is. But then, yeah, Baloo's solo is talk about a cool, the weirdest phrasing. Yeah. Like completely, the the coolest thing about all four players on the album, and just about every song is the unpredictability of it. Yeah. Within like the rigid structure of the song, the way that they're able to to just pull things out that are consistently surprising. Yeah. I, it's it's unreal like they're such disparate talents and yet it comes together in such a good way I, I mean you said before we were recording that this is a like a weirdly accessible album mm-hmm. like it's a super weird album I mean Elephant Talk great example opens with Tony Levin's incredibly dissonant bass line mm-hmm. and yet it's still so compelling yeah it still has that so, repetitive hook to it do you know he's playing a chapman stick not a bass 
yes. And in fact, mention an extended range stringed <laughs> instrument is one of the buzzwords. All right. <laughs> So, and I don't want to. Pe- I don't want people to think that that's like a five-string bass, or you see like a metal musician playing. Look up what a Chapman stick is because yeah. it's a freaky instrument. Um, and for that song, he detunes one of the strings. Right, right. <laughs> one one of the strings because I think it goes. So the thickest strings are in the middle, mm-hmm. and then it get to both sides as it gets to the edge of the fretboard. It get the strings get smaller and i think in one direction it's fifths and the other directions it's fourths right so right. i think he detunes one of the strings that's to a fifth down one so it's a tritone yeah and yeah, then yeah. that way he can bar it and do that cool thing and yeah what a freaking cool intro to the album to the new band to like immediately sounds nothing like the last song off of the previous crimson record in 74 it's like whoa what's this and just sounds so cool yeah and it's funny it's such an iconic and catchy part but uh it's something that you can basically never cover i mean have you ever seen someone maybe you have play a chapman stick live no and i know it's really hard to play oddly enough you might not know who this is, uh, but if there's any uh, any people who surf uh, are listening, Tom Curran, who's one of the all-time great surfers, is also a really good musician, and he plays the Chapman stick. Really? Which it, it, it's very strange, but apparently he's a very, very good Chapman stick player, and it's a hard instrument to be able to play well. Yeah, it's if, if you guys have never seen one of these things, it, it, the way you play it is you you two-hand tap the entire thing. or it's Well, it's a hammer-on the technique. Whole, the whole yeah. thing is a fretboard. Yeah. It's, it's like a seriously oversized bass and guitar with no body to it. It's just a big fretboard. Yeah, and it's I think Tony's has 12 strings or something. I know they 10 I plus I think 10 strings. is the normal. Is that normal? Yeah, it's they're, they're – I mean, it's something like totally alien. Um, yeah. It's funny. I, I watched a video of these guys playing Elephant Talk. Um, On live. Fridays? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah I think that, that was the that one. That performance is so cool. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, this is a great opportunity to kind of introduce the band a little bit. I'll, yeah. I'll give my first impressions, and I'm sure you have way better information on these guys, but it just to give you an idea of who these guys are, like it, this video turns on, and you have Adrian Ballou up front, and he's in a pink suit. And he's got his weird little like front tail haircut and he's got this like fucked up like Stratocaster, but it's a Stratocaster. Mm-hmm. Like it's, a, we, we all know the Stratocaster, right? I uh, think Frank Zappa gave him that Stratocaster. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, there's another connection for you because he got his start with Zappa, right? Correct. Or he got his start with like his own thing and then Zappa found him and then like he, Bowie he was, found he was him, playing, no, he was playing in bar bands when Zappa found him. Oh, that's dang. like, that's how Zappa found tons of people is on his nights off he would just go to the local you know so i think it was in nashville that he found him i uh, could be wrong there but yeah played uh with frank for only like a year and then he was poached by david bowie yeah, by bowie right? yeah and then he which, was involved with talking heads for a while right yeah talking heads and then tom tom club which yeah. was like the talking Heads spinoff without uh burn right right 
So, I mean, and this, I mean, his vocal delivery on this one, it totally strikes me as a David Byrne kind of, uh, it, it's, it reminds me of that, but very cool. And um, so we see Adrian Ballou up there and he's in like a pink suit with his weird haircut, very uh, new wave looking type guy. And then it, you know, the camera pans over to Tony Levin, who looks like, uh, he's like a, you know, 19th century bare knuckle boxer who's... <laughs> also from the future like he's <laughs> that's this, a good way to put it yeah <laughs> he's got this incredibly alien instrument that he's playing <laughs> and he kind of usually takes like a power stance with it yeah, like he's wide like kind of kind of crouched down like doing the thing and then uh and then it pans over to robert fripp who's wearing a black suit and he's seated yeah. and he's got his kind of like double cut like sort of uh les paul looking style guitar mm. and he's just seated and he's kind of doing his little uh jazz shapes and and he's just smiling serenely just sort of he's proudly kind of overseeing the whole thing uh and then i think the most fucked up part of the whole thing is it it pans back to bill bruford and he's just like a normal looking guy in a t-shirt <laughs> it's like when 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 your drummer is the most normal looking guy in the whole band like that's fucked up <laughs> yeah. bruford's cool though he's my he's my guy yeah he's, he's my favorite drummer for sure and i'm gonna be talking about him a lot because that his stuff on this album might be the coolest stuff on the album yeah like i love his drumming on this album oh okay good i want you to talk about that because i was transfixed by the guitar work mainly. Uh -huh. i have yet to break through to the the drum work on this one uh so i'm excited to hear that but uh, back to the the two solos i uh so you said um Fripp takes the first solo. Fripp takes the first solo, and it's the really weird one. That's, like, maybe the weirdest one. That was the one that completely flew under my radar. I did not realize that was a guitar solo. Yeah. Um, so he what, you, what, he was using a, an effect of some sort. It's a, it's a guitar synthesizer. So it, it's a whole system that involves the guitar, a special cable that goes to a special pedal board that only works with that guitar, and... I, it's like a precursor to a MIDI guitar. Okay. That's um, what I was going to ask if, yeah. it's, if it's MIDI. So, it was pre-MIDI. I, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> Leave it to Robert yeah. Fripp. Well, I'm going to say mention an effects pedal is one of the buzzwords. I'm okay. going to – I'm gonna. that's close enough for me. You'd have, you'd have definitely gotten me once I started talking about Baloo. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. going to we'll, – yeah, we'll talk about his elephant tone as well. Cause yeah, I, the elephant noises. Yeah, because I, I – after hearing that, I immediately went on YouTube and was like, Adrian Ballou. He talks about it, yeah. Yeah, I saw vi yeah. the video of him talking about it. So this and it's super simple. He, yeah. It's just a slow flanger and a big muff. Yeah. yeah, that's it. It's like, and that's what's wild is I was like waiting for some, uh, you know, uh, what's uh, from Boston? Uh, uh, Tom Schultz. Tom Schultz. I was waiting for some Tom Schultz. Well, I invented this crazy thing yeah. that I, you know, only I have it and this and that. No, so uh, I just turn the knob on the flanger all the way down, and uh, I've got a big muff. He even says like, "Well, I used a big muff, but you can use whatever you want." Yeah. It's kind of like it. <laughs> but I will say, it. He never got it to sound as good as he did back in the '80s when he was using those funky electro harmonics pedals. Yeah. Because now he's moved on to. I think now he carries around an XFX rig right. or a MacBook rig. Right. And you. He approximates it, but it's not quite as cool as those funky, weird old 70s electro harmonics pedals. Yeah. Which, like, to me, when I think of electro harmonics pedals, I think of Adrian Ballou. Yeah. For, for like, just the, the weird ones, you know, because they have so many weird ones. I mean, Big Muff, pro I probably big go straight Muff to Gilmore. Big Muff and the Memory but... Man, and that's kind of the big ones. 
But you're right. They release so many weird little niche ones. Um, there was one I discovered online. I forget how that was this kind of it only did slapback, but it was a really interesting sounding slapback. And it made me spend like a couple hours in my garage tweaking my analog delay until it sounded like that. It was, uh -huh. it was just so many weird little anyways. Um, yeah. And the other interesting <laughs> thing about his solo because he's doing the elephant noises throughout the song. Mm -hmm. And you're going, what the, how the hell is he doing that? And then he starts the solo, and it's a weird guitar tone, and it's like on the edge of complete feedback the whole time. Yeah. But then at the end of the solo, he goes back into the elephant noises. And you go like, it was the same guitar tone? Yeah. You know, like, he, I don't think he stomped on any stomp box or anything. Like, I, I can't figure out how that the guitar tone he was playing in the solo is also the guitar tone that he uses for the elephant noises. Yeah. Because they, they sound very different, but then they flow right into one another. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I don't hear any change in the, like I don't hear any new oscillation from the uh -huh. flange. I don't hear any new, uh, you know, because when you turn on a pedal like that, there's often going to be some, you know, some resistor in there that adds some negative feedback. You're going to hear a slight bump in gain. Famously, the phase 90, you click it on, there's like a 3 yeah, dB yeah. gain boost. Mm -hmm. None of that. It's just, he just goes yeah, right into it. It's possible that it was two different guitar takes and then they faded yeah. one in and faded one out, but I don't think that's the case because I know they recorded that whole album really fast. And actually, like, if you're trying to pay attention to the production, it's really dry. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of really is just the four of them in the room there's barely any overdubs it's i mean crazy but once you actually start paying attention to that side of it it, it really is like four guys playing it live in a room yeah and it it's funny to it's like uh when you hear crazy noises on a record at least for me often there's an instinct of like what well, studio trickery you know mm. Uh, but then seeing them play that live and hearing Adrian just switch back and forth from that, uh, you know, super, uh, you know, that notched uh, Stratocaster position to super clean. Yeah, the, the, that's another thing is the, his clean tones yeah. are like some of the coolest 80s rolling jazz chorus, yeah. clean, compressed, like Andy Summers tones. Right. Like during Fripp's solo, if you listen to Baloo's comping, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's actually great. It's 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 funny. I didn't even notice Fripp's solo at first. I was focused on Baloo's. He's doing the whammy bar, yeah. blah, blah. so nice. And um, you know, on the live one too, he's playing around uh, behind the nut and stuff too. I, mm -hmm. So cool. I, he he does it on on the yeah. record too. But it's it's uh, God, that's such a cool song. So I mean, right off the bat, such a cool introduction to the record. And um, I don't know if you want to talk about the guys more, but the, each one of these dudes, it, you know. This incarnation of King Crimson, it's basically a prog rock slash new wave supergroup. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, it's yeah. like every single one of these dudes is a is a is a pillar of of those styles in their own right. You yeah. Know? So yeah, let's let's go back and let's actually talk about uh, the band members and the formation and what's going on. Yeah. And I think we should start like for those who don't know, King Crimson. Uh, first album released in 1969. That's the one with the really famous album cover in the Court of the Crimson King. It's got the like screaming face on face, it. Yeah. The red and blue screaming face. Super cool. Um, and that's a fantastic album. And then almost immediately after that album, 
start losing band members and getting new band members and there's kind of a middle period so greg lake sings on the first king crimson album um he left to start emerson lake and palmer um and then there's a middle period of a couple albums uh lizards um islands uh in the wake of poseidon uh where band members are coming in and out and then there's the second really strong power 70s group uh which is where where bill bruford joins okay um because he he wasn't on the he was playing with yes right beforehand um so he leaves yes to join king crimson uh in 73 i believe and he's just on lark's tongues and aspic and red which are two fantastic albums in 73 and 74 uh with John Wetton singing, who's another prog rock great. Um, on Lark's Tongues, they have a violinist named uh, David Cross, I believe, just like the comedian David Cross. Oh, okay, that's why that rung a bell for me. Yeah. So, okay. And uh, a second drummer, actually, Jamie Muir, who played like a funky drum kit, uh, like really trashy noises, would put like chains on his snare drum oh, wow. and stuff. And he left after Lark's Tongues and Aspic to become a monk. <laughs> so <laughs> that's prog rock as fuck, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they do. Then they do Red, and it's just a trio at that point. It's uh, Robert Fripp, who's been the only continuous member, Bill Bruford, and John Wetton. And then Fripp breaks the group up in 1974, maybe early 75, and says that's it. And uh, Fripp goes on to do a bunch of cool stuff. He starts working with Brian Eno. Yeah. Um, does a couple ambient albums with Brian Eno. Uh, no Pussy Footing, which is a fantastic uh, album. And he's developing Frippertronics. I don't know if you dove into Frippertronics. I uh, began to dive into it and did not get a satisfying answer. It, it, it it's talks basically, about a tape delay system. It's, basically, he hooked up to... Uh, two tape delays together to get really long delay times okay. for the 70s okay um so like we're talking like 20 second delay times so he plays something and then 20 seconds later yeah. what he played comes back and he's doing other stuff to tweak with it that's interesting because that's a brian eno thing i remember yeah. reading about him when he did uh what's it called music for airports where he had like he set up like a metal chair over there that served as one of the he could like send a loop around the chair uh -huh. so that he could get a really long repeat of whatever loop he had so that okay that makes sense yeah That's cool and act like some of that stuff goes back to the, the 50s and 60s with the music concrete music concrete um uh stockhausen uh weird uh modern composers uh and i'm trying to think the the name of that organ player who also was basically doing frippertronics but with uh organ work terry riley okay um he has a famous piece called rainbows and curved air i think that's what like it's called hammond uh yeah i think i think that's the stuff he was playing uh, yeah, he might have been playing a, a b3 name a type of keyboard is one of the buzzwords interesting <laughs> That's an interesting buzzword because there's no keyboards on discipline. Anyways, really? yeah, yeah, it's they, all it's all guitar sound. Dude, what? Because they, I saw credits 
for synthesize. I guess that's the Roland synthesizer, yeah. huh? Yeah. That's what it meant. Mm -hmm. My guitars, bro. I'm gonna start crediting myself with synthesizer on my albums, man. Yeah. Oh, you totally oh can. Oh my god. So, anyways, going back, Britt breaks up King Crimson. He starts working with Brian Eno. Does an album with David Bowie. Huge yeah. album, Heroes. Um. What was Fripp was on that too? Because that's where Eno like produced that. Did Fripp? Fripp play plays the guitar for no. David Bowie. Yeah. Really. And then he didn't want to tour with them. And so David Bowie needed a guitar player, and Brian Eno said, "Hey, I was just at a Frank Zappa concert, and I saw this guy. Adrian you should try Ballou. to get it. Adrian Ballou, yeah." <laughs> so for the Heroes tour, okay. that's when Adrian Ballou started playing guitar with wow. Bowie. That's incredible, man. So have you heard the story? This is another. We're never going to get back to discipline because there's so much to talk about. But have you heard the story of how how Bowie poached Adrian Ballou from uh, Frank Zappa? No. <laughs> so they play. Uh, Bowie goes to a show, talks to Baloo backstage when uh, Frank is doing um, his like solo guitar work. So the whole mm -hmm. rest of the band leaves the stage and it's just Frank playing. Uh, Bowie pulls uh, Baloo aside and gives him a talk. And then after the concert, Bowie takes him out for a late dinner or drinks or whatever you can do at 1 a.m. when and as they get back to the hotel the whole band and Frank are sitting in the lobby <laughs> <laughs> and Bowie's like trying to explain himself to Frank and Frank, Frank a, a famously easygoing guy right yeah yeah <laughs> with a with a sh the sharpest wit and every time David Bowie would try to explain himself to Frank Frank would say Fuck you, Captain Tom. <laughs> so Captain he, Tom. He demoted him. He demoted him. him. <laughs> He's not even Major Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's a great story. Um, yeah, so who else? Okay, Bruford, uh, after King Crimson breaks up in 74, starts doing his own thing. He has Bruford, um, who... Alan Holdsworth is his guitar player for that. Oh, shit. And they also do uh, the band UK, which is like short-lived. Uh, so that's the Bruford side. And Tony Levin is the one where I'm kind of blurry on the history. But he also has a Frank Zappa connection. Yeah. Because so he got started with uh, Don Preston. Yeah. Who was an original Mothers of Invention guy in the '60s? Yeah, and the the other so he met Robert Fripp when they both got hired to play on Peter Gabriel's first album. So there's the Peter Gabriel connection, uh, and then they met there, and then I mean Tony Levin has played on so many records. He he um he did work with Pink Floyd. Um, Momentary lapse of reason. Yeah. So yeah. so post Roger Waters, um, I mean he's been, but he's been on everything. Like he did he he worked with like John Lennon I think on the Ono project. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And also apparently, uh, I read this, I but I didn't really look into it to see how true or, or how often this actually happened. But apparently, uh, he was getting paired up with Steve Gadd a lot on studio sessions. Yeah. So like, wait did. Uh, okay, wait, yeah, no, that's right. So Steve, okay, what did he play on with Gad? That would have been Peter Gabriel, right? Or no? Maybe. I'm trying to think. Um, 
a little bit off to have you ever heard of the band stuff i have not steve gad project it's like a funk fusion band mid-70s uh super sick i'm gonna say did you, you just post album. about them i just did okay yeah, yeah i recently uh kind of discovered them randomly and it, steve gad happened to be in it and it's just yeah, uh-huh. kind of another steely dan connection so if it, i'm begging anyone listening to this if you're into steely dan even a little bit please <laughs> come on my program and talk about steely dan with me anyways um tony Levin. i mean the guy's a, a freaking animal yeah he, he's been on everything mm-hmm. he, he's played with everybody and everything um so anyways at some point in 1980 robert fripp decides to call up bruford and baloo and tony levin and he wants to start a new band and he wants to call it discipline so at first they were called discipline they weren't called king crimson and he had a whole mission statement about it about how how he wanted the band to work and actually that it's pretty accurately represented in the song discipline like if the last song on the album discipline (laughs) is like the ground rules that Robert Fripp laid out followed to a T. And actually, I got this little uh, CD booklet over here. You might enjoy some of the ground rules that he laid out. Yeah, I want to hear this because I have I have some uh, strong opinions about the song Discipline that kind of lead to a another album that you introduced me to that happened right after this one. So I, I have some strong opinions about this one that go outside of this project. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Let me see if I can find them. Rule number one, the full band never phrased together. Two players together is enough, and in exceptional cases, three. Rule two, it is okay to repeat yourself. Um, an existing solution to a problem is the wrong one. Absolutum, obsoletum. <laughs> Rule four, if you have an idea, don't play it. <laughs> um, rule five, when a change in the music needs emphasis, don't play it. The change in the music is emphasis enough. Um, let me just skip and try to find some other good ones because it's a long list of <laughs> rules. <laughs> This is great. This is like the classic rule number one. There are no rules. Rule number two, my house, my rules. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this is a great one. If the tension in the music needs emphasizing, don't. The tension is there because of what you're playing, not what you're about to play. Nice. How's that one? And other ones, one of the big ones is he told Bill Bruford he wasn't allowed to use cymbals. So there's barely any cymbals on this album. There's only crashes. He had no hi-hat and no ride. I guess you're right, huh? Yeah. He had, so there's a good picture in here of his drum kit at the time. I don't know how much you paid attention to his drum kit on the video you saw, but it's the coolest drum kit of all time. I saw it was like half digital, half... uh... So, kind of where his hi-hat should be, he has a single rototom. Yeah. And whereas Ride should be, he has a set of Octobons. Um, yeah. And Octobons are super long, skinny drums that can be pitched. Uh, I think traditionally they would have been made out of bamboo. Like big, you can kind of okay. see how they would be bamboo I, I stocks. I see, yeah. So the, that was his hi-hat and his snare. And then he has like a digital uh, hi-hat pedal that just kind of releases a ping. 
which is a really weird part of the album because it's on like four songs going the whole time. That's just like digital ping. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I love it, but it's really weird. And then he has Simmons drums, which are like the first electronic drums. They're the hexagonal ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. They look you, like a practice pad. Yeah. Yeah. And you normally think of those things as sounding horrible, like super cheesy 80s. But I think on this album, they sound fantastic. Like, yeah. He was, Bruford is just the king to me of always being inventive, always trying new things. He was on Rototoms before anyone uh, with Bruford and in UK. Um, always changing the way he plays. I mean, just deciding to quit Yes when they're at the peak, you know, because he's just tired of it and wants to do something different. And to go join King Crimson, which was kind of notoriously uh, um, a dictatorship. You know, yeah. no one wanted to work with Fripp. <laughs> He's just the best. Right. So, yeah, like listening on Elephant Talk, uh, going back to the first song on the album, he's on the octobons the whole time instead of on a ride. So yeah. he's playing like his ride patterns, but on those octobons. And it sounds awesome. And it yeah. doesn't get in the way of Fripp's super uh, – because that's another thing is Fripp said, like, no bar chords. Yeah. So instead of playing bar co- chords, he's playing all these weird arpeggios right. super quickly and just repeated phrases over and over. And that's kind of – that's where the high end comes from is Fripp's guitar work. Yeah. And then Bruford's just adding complexity with, with the octobons. That's so interesting. I'm, it's funny. I'm, I've listened to this album probably 10 times in the last week. I'm going to have to go listen to it 10 more times and focus on the drums because I've been – I may have mentioned this earlier, but I was so transfixed with the guitar work that I didn't really listen to the drums, mm-hmm. and I need to go back and do that. I, I'm replaying it in my head. Discipline, yeah, I think there's a crash when they uh, restart the whole phrase, yeah. and that's kind of it, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only area where I think there is a hi-hat is on uh, Mata Kudasai. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mata Kudasai, which is probably the most conventional song on the whole album. Um, sort of. It's, it's in an odd time signature. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, okay, let's do this. So we talked about Elephant Talk. We let's haven't talk even about- talked about the words. Dude, that's right. Okay, wait. I had the, uh, I had the lyrics pulled up. Yeah, Elephant those. Talk has some of the best lyrics on any song because he doesn't rhyme no what's what's it called when you use is it alliteration is alliteration that the start of the yeah, word? yeah exactly he uses alliteration and, and it's interesting because uh adrian uh his his lyrics on this album it's so funny because you're right he he's not huge into rhyming or this and that and yet it still feels so consonant and it's because he finds other ways to do it like mm-hmm. this like the the first verse uh, talk, it's only talk. Arguments, agreements, advice, answers, articulate announcements, it's only talk. So he does all A's. And then the second verse, my personal favorite, talk, it's only talk. Babble, burble, banter, bicker, 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 brouhaha, balderdash, ballyhoo. It's only talk, back talk. It's a, he, so he goes through d- different mm-hmm. letters. In fact, by verse four, uh, what does he say in verse four? These are words with a D this time. Recite lyrics, one of the buzzwords. <laughs> but yes. I need another beer. <laughs> there you go. Um, have you mentioned jazz? No, and now I know not to. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Well, you blew that one. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but that's what's cool is like, so verse four, debates, discussions. These are words with a D this time. Dialogue, duologue, diatribe, dissension, declamation, double talk, double talk. Double talk, double yeah. talk, yeah. So like the kind of self-referential, these are words with a D this time. And then double talk, double talk. And then later on, uh, which one is it? Um, indiscipline, he, he goes, I repeat myself when under stress. I repeat myself when yeah. under stress. I repeat myself. He does stuff like that where it's, it, you know, he doesn't rhyme, but he still uses these clever little lyrical things that still hook you the way mm -hmm. a rhyme might, but it's not a rhyme. Which uh, is like, that's the point of King Crimson is you're always looking for new ways, new ways to do things. Like yeah. if, if there's a correct way to do it, don't do it that way. Yeah. Find a new way. This, In fact, this perfectly follows those rules because he, he specifically says, repeat yourself it's okay to repeat yourself uh -huh. so he leans into that and to great effect and it's totally outside the box it's you know if it's the correct answer don't do it or whatever that rule was you know he it's uh or if there's an existing solution to the problem find yeah. a different one and it's, yeah exactly it's, it's, and he's done that he's done that here it's it's uh it's so interesting i i love this so one more thing on uh elephant talk and then we can move on to the next song uh this is just this for the real attentive listener. My favorite thing about Bruford uh, throughout his whole career, and I've listened to just about everything he's done. He's far and away my favorite drummer. But the way he moves his snare drum around the bar. Uh, so lots of the time on this album, he's playing a kick on a one and a snare on a three, just playing the, the backbeat. But then he'll put in these other snare things or one time around he'll move the snare lots of the time what he does is if you're in four four time he's working on 16 notes which a musician generally counts like one and a two and a, and he's putting these weird accents on the e's and the uhs yeah. so that the second and the fourth 16th note of each quarter note and listen right at the beginning of anal elephant talk uh when blue says articulate announcements and you'll hear exactly what i'm talking about and that's the kind of stuff when he just moves his snare drum around on the bar that makes me melt like i just go crazy for that stuff yeah it, it's a cool one man and i'm 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 dying to go listen to it again because elephant talk it's again i was transfixed by uh Levin's bass line super dissonant but so hooky and then um Adrian's lyrics I I have yet to penetrate into that level of the drums and of course the guitar tone we already talked about it I mean, you know me I'm a I'm a guitar player that's my whole thing and... welcome back uh so we were talking about some of the songs here we just talked about elephant talk um frame by frame Super cool one. Um, also, kind of begins with a Tony Levin uh, bass thing, but a um, that's Fripp. Is that Fripp? Yeah. Yeah. It is Fripp? really hard to play. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. It's super hard to play. So that's Fripp. But shit, I yeah. automatically assumed that was Tony Levin on the, no, on that's the Chapman. Shit. Okay. Well, damn. Good for uh, good for Robert Fripp then. Um, so it's Fripp. And Adrian Blue hitting the big chords on his Stratocaster. Yeah. Okay. And then the crazy fills by Bruford. Yes. Just the, across the toms. Yeah. In the weirdest spots, like, like I said, everything is just 
surprising, not where you expect the fills to be, not where you expect anything to be. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, Elephant Talk, Elephant Talk is cool as hell. And it's one of my favorite songs on the album, but it's very much like an assault on the senses, you know? Uh huh. It's quite dissonant uh, in all aspects. And then Frame by Frame is so consonant so pleasant when it opens it's like okay this is so like 80s uh prog sounding like it's mm-hmm. that really nice big chords on the strat and stuff um it, it's it's just such a cool like back and forth like to, uh, you know and, and that's cool it's like to me you know you could cook a dish that's really spicy it doesn't all have to be like sweet but you follow it up with something sweet and uh-huh. I, I feel like it's such a cool one two elephant talking to frame by frame um I, I loved this song. The very first time I heard it, it opens up with these big chords and it's so pleasant to me. And I'm like, oh shit, this is so cool. It's so different than Elephant Talk. It's this one two punch. Um, and then they immediately change because uh, the the intro and verse are they two different time signatures? Yeah. So yeah. They, this is like the first really groundbreaking thing that I think they do on this album. Uh, that the only other person besides the hypno rings that I've ever <laughs> I've ever heard do this is uh Steve Reich or Reich I'm not sure uh, what the correct pronunciation is but he's a, a modern composer 20th century composer um, who did a lot of stuff with phasing tape phasing um, but anyways what they do on that when the the time signature changes is they they hop into seven I think and Baloo and Fripp are both playing the same thing, and then Fripp drops a note. So he's only playing a six-note pattern. And then bar by bar, their uh, two phrases start to separate because yeah. now one of them's playing in seven and the other's playing in six. Yeah. And then eventually, well, they come back around. They come back around yeah. and they link back up, and that's when the <laughs> that's when the chord change happens, and that like. A, it's super hard to be able to do that. To and I mean, they played the song live all the time, and so for Fripp to be able to, he's in a different time signature than the whole rest of the band. Yeah, just crazy stuff. And the way they separate and kind of just start ping ponging yeah. the two guitar lines is such a cool sensation yeah. on the ears. Yeah. It's it's wild, man. This this song is so cool, and and uh, again, like a testament to Adrian's uh, lyrics. Like I, I noticed he, he has these, um, you know, frame by frame, um, death by drowning. It's he, it's those little uh, uh, idioms and stuff. Uh-huh. He's just throwing those at you, and again, it's a way to make the the listener recognize what he's saying without it being a rhyme you know it's just these things we've all heard and we all recognize and we have that familiarity with it it has the same effect as a rhyme it's these little quips and things they don't actually rhyme but it's it's it it clicks in your brain the same way so clever um the other thing too really funny uh, do you listen to radiohead at all not really that you know i have this horrible personality trait (laughs) <laughs> where the more times people recommend me to listen to something, the more like the more defiant I am to listen to it. it. And especially with them, because I was a huge Pink Floyd, still am, but giant Pink Floyd fan. And to have people tell you like, oh, you would love Radiohead. They're totally like Pink Floyd. Oh, it's just like such a horrible turnoff. That. That's but I, I wouldn't say that. I've I've listened to 
most of their classic albums once or twice. Okay. And liked it, but never, never a deep dive. Never. I'm sure if I focused on it, I would like them very much. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Adrian's vocal delivery and then the vocal harmonies too on this one uh, struck me as so Tom York. Like the idea to use those little quips as his lyrics and the uh, um, you know, like the the phrasing of you know um, frame by frame, death by drowning, analysis, and the harmony too that goes with that. That's so Tom York. That's so Radiohead. So, I think I think what you mean to say. Is Radiohead. That Tom, Tom York is doing yes. an Adrian Ballou thing. That's right. That's exactly right. Because he absolutely would. Like, I guarantee you, Tom York was into this kind of shit for sure. Um, it, you're absolutely right. Um, anyways, cool song. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the strongest song on the album. Like, if I only had to show someone one song from the album, uh, I'd probably go with frame by frame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, if I had to show someone one song from the album, though, I'd probably show them the next song, Mate Kudasai. To me, probably the most accessible one. Yeah, it was certainly the prettiest one. Yeah. Like, and you don't necessarily think of pretty songs when you think of King Crimson. No. But they kind of have one on every album. Um, like, going back off Court of the Crimson King, there's a I Talk to the Wind, mm. which is super, you know, mellow, pretty song. On the next album, there's a song called Cadence and Cascade, uh, which I love that song. Is, and you said that album's Lizards? No, the, lizard? the, the second one, I believe, is uh, In the Wake of Poseidon. Okay. Because Lizard might have been the one I was telling you about. For some reason, I that clicked for me. Lizard is the third or fourth album. I get, I get the order of Lizard and Islands confused it, i i might have is there a song on lizard called circus maybe there might be that might be what i'm thinking of we'll we'll look it up later um so yeah i mean mate kudasai to me it took me by surprise because okay so here's the thing the first song took me by surprise elephant talk took me by surprise because of tony levin's insanely dissonant uh chapman stick line right off the bat and then adrian Ballou's delivery i mean so much about that took me by surprise his guitar tone Frame by Frame takes me by surprise because now it's this really consonant 80s prog sound that then has this crazy time signature thing. And then Mate Kudasai takes me by surprise because it's this really nice ballad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like they blow your mind by being like more conventional suddenly. But you mentioned, you mentioned something earlier about how it's not maybe as conventional as we think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the whole, not the whole thing, but the, the main chunk of the song is in 10, I believe. Like ten four, a slow ten. Yeah. Um, that's a fun song to play on guitar, by the way. I I'm already I I want to go learn it. Yeah. Like yeah, I, it's really I'm, cool. I already I'm already envisioning myself playing a set and sending everybody else off stage and doing a solo guitar ballad. But I yeah I'm I'm there I'm there. <laughs> um, beautiful song. Uh, the version of the album I have here, they actually have two versions of it. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah. Because the original release on the original vinyl is probably what on there on spotify and stuff the is the alternate version right there's like an extra guitar part yeah, yeah. it's fripp doing like classic frippertronic stuff and on all the subsequent re-releases he decided that his guitar work was in the way 
And yeah. I agree. I actually agree too. Yeah. 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 I actually agree too. Um, it's, it's funny because yes, the alternate version to me is it's interesting and I love listening to it, but it is, yeah, it is a little bit much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, the other thing too, is I don't know if you've listened to this song studio sessions, but they kind of play the song a third time. Like, <laughs> um, I think I clicked through that once and it also, I think exists on YouTube as like the backing tracks like because okay. it's stuff like without the vocals added right, right? yeah it's yeah. These stripped down like snippets of each song yeah it's cool yeah yeah um super cool um so it, it was something funny that i thought of while i was listening to this version of the album where i'm glad that's my favorite song on the album because they play it three times on this album so mm-hmm. you know, you know there which you go. by the way <laughs> while we're talking about it and the, the fact that it's on spotify now don't listen to it on spotify go search for the cd or the album and do it the old-fashioned way because yeah. it's it's way better it was so i felt so cool about myself when i would find one like a used cd in a record store and go listen to it and would have no idea going into it what it was because there was no way like you couldn't youtube the songs beforehand you didn't know you didn't know what was going to be on that king crimson cd right and you'd pop it in and it was just every time just about was a trip yeah so listen to it that way yeah be cool people do it no be cool go back to the physical mediums um i uh, we did a live stream recently i don't, I don't know when it's going to come out but we did a live stream me and andrew and one of the questions they asked us was, what do you think the next uh, trend in physical media is going to be? Because, you know, we've seen a return. Obviously, there was vinyl, which has been around now for actually quite some time. The return to vinyl is uh-huh. kind of old news at this point. Cassettes came up. That's kind of becoming a little bit camp, too, now. Like, it's, it's been done. Um, so somebody asked, well, what's the next one going to be? Like, what do you think? The My theory was people are going to, um, if you pay the money, they'll send you a little... Uh, like shitty like sansa mp3 player (laughs) (laughs) with their music preloaded on it i don't know i think it'd be cool uh well there's a costa mesa band uh shout out to shape pataki yeah um they did a usb stick release a while back stack of usb sticks and okay yeah um yeah which i thought was really cool it was a usb stick with a bottle opener on it and that was the only that was all they did for that that it was just an ep but i thought that was super cool unfortunately now usb sticks are a thing of the past yeah that's like, right i actually have a stack of credit card sized usb sticks that i i sent you the uh like deluxe edition uh-huh. or whatever i called it of the of the album your I last album did. yeah and it you know lyrics chords this that and i was gonna put that on these usb sticks and paint them and do this stuff and it just and then yeah. the, you can't give people physical shit during the pandemic. So it kind of just floundered. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, you want to talk about indiscipline? Absolutely. Indiscipline. Um, that I love every song on this album. Indiscipline was, I think my first, my first love on this album of like, that's really? the, the song. And it's still, there's only a couple songs that like I almost burst out laughing because like the the adrenaline rush of listening to it. Yeah. And that's one of them because of Bruford. The drumming on it is might be my favorite drum song of all time. Really? Like, the drumming on it is so out there and cool. 
and he's on the roto tom and he's on the the simmons drums and oh my god i just go crazy over the drumming in my head i'm gonna have to re-listen to this one but in my head i'm hearing maybe the biggest use of the crash symbol on the record is that correct yes yeah i'm hearing that if i try and replay it in my head um which is maybe why it stands out to me this one to me struck me as uh like proto grunge almost the guitar tone sort of but actually to me big muff so you know actually to me it's kind of a throwback to the 70s crimson guitar tones because they were getting really heavy in the 70s with their guitar tones like you listen to lark's tongue in aspic parts one and two and the the fuzz tones on that are like pretty gnarly so that's that's what I think of is I think that it's kind of a, a throwback song yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, but Bruford's drumming and when they would play it live, he would lead into it with a long drum solo, which his go listen to like live King Crimson shows from 1982 to Bruford's drum solos. And they are so cool because he's got the electric things which he can change the presets for so he can change them to like fully pitched things and almost play them like a marimba or something and he's uh his phrasing is everything about i i'm getting to the point where all i can say about is like how cool is that which which is you know a lame way to talk about it but hey but a valid way nonetheless yeah uh, I gotta say too, man, you you've done this about ten million times. I just realized it's on here. Mention a specific part of the drum kit. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of the buzzwords. I haven't talked about his gong drum yet. I, I just realized that. Now you're free to do it. You're off the hook now. If you hit it once, it's like a landmine. It's the, it's gone. Yeah. Well, the the going back to frame by frame is where you can really hear the gong drum. He doesn't have a normal floor tom. He has a gong drum floor tom, which is like a kick drum sized floor tom that's at an angle so he can whack it like that (laughs) go look up pictures of bruford's drum kit from the 80s version of king crimson and it's the wackiest thing but it's so cool yeah it matt showed me a picture of it it's 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 fucked up looking it's like it looks like something you'd see it like some weird iv house show but like professional it's like when you see that he has like only one symbol it strikes you as like what the hell uh-huh but i mean it's bill bruford like he, he yeah. knows he knows what the hell he's doing um anyways uh <laughs> indiscipline super cool uh the lyrics on this one too it uh, again a very interesting take i Adrian love Ballou. the lyrics on this do you yeah. know do you know where they come from did you see because i think I had, it says I had, this I, on I, I, wikipedia this even is, I, all i did was read the wikipedia so yeah please enlighten me please enlighten me so it's a letter from Adrian Ballou's apparently very artsy, spacey wife Yeah, that she wrote to him when he's on tour about some art project that she just <laughs> finished and how she likes it so much, but she's playing games where she doesn't look at it for a day and then she looks at it. <laughs> but the way Ballou reads it, it's like a serial killer. Is mm-hmm. though It's super creepy, but... I I think it's awesome, and he's just, just talking, and the the band just has that slow thing going behind it. Yeah, and then the chaos breaks out, and then they bring it back. I love it. Yeah, the delivery of those lines. Um, in case you haven't noticed, I'm kind of in love with Adrian Blue after listening to this. 
so what did I do? What was, what was the first thing I do is I read, um, you know, I, I saw that he had, you know, his very first solo album. I forget the name of it. Lone Rhino. Yeah, Lone Rhino, right. So uh, what do I do? I go on Spotify and I type in Lone Rhino. It's not there. Mm-hmm. So already. I think like it, <laughs> like, is like, Mr. Music Head on there? Uh, yes, yes. I have that one on vinyl. That's a great album, That's especially the, the opening track. Okay. I'm going to check that out um, because after listening to this album, I, I decided that I really wanted to listen to some Adrian Ballou. I was like... Have you heard the Zappa stuff with Ballou? No. Like... So he has a song, Zappa has a song called City of Tiny Lights that Blue sang lead on. Um, and if you find like the the live version from the Hollywood Palladium, or not Hollywood, the New York Palladium uh, in 78, which is on the Baby Snakes movie, you can find it a lot like a live video of it uh, from the Baby Snakes movie all over YouTube. One of the coolest Frank songs Adrian Blue's singing lead. He also uh, does a Bob Dylan impression on a different song. I had read that somewhere. Okay, yeah, that's what, hilarious. What on song a song is called it's called Flakes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had read that somewhere. It's yeah, it's a hilarious song. It's a song about like uh, hiring a plumber who does a crappy job. <laughs> <laughs> Typical and, Bob Dylan shit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in the middle of a the song, there's like a the, the music kind of mellows out, and he starts doing a a Bob Dylan thing, singing about how the plumber charged him double for Sunday and didn't do nothing. <laughs> it's hilarious, and it, it's a great impression too. So is he imitating like uh, blonde on blonde Dylan or like Nashville skyline Dylan? You know, I'm not good enough at my Dylan. I would probably say like, what's the uh, the, the Dylan song like the pill bottom hat or uh, we're singing about the hat and it it has the word pill in it I can't think uh, right now uh, that's not on Nashville Skyline I can say that so it's it's conventional no, it's, it's Dylan. Either he's a, doing a legit yeah, Bob yeah, Dylan yeah. impression yeah. yeah because there was this whole controversy my favorite Dylan album is called Nashville Skyline it's his country album and people criticized him for not sounding like Bob Dylan on it it's my favorite Dylan album hmm. <laughs> I have a buddy Greg who's really into Bob Dylan and he's shown me stuff that Dylan released in like 2005 like <laughs> mid 2000 <laughs> stuff that's like his best stuff it's Damn. super cool it's like good yeah well, I was gonna say uh, the Dan's album from like 2008 actually really fucking good Steely Dan's uh, what's it called everything must go it's like 2006 or I haven't listened to it very good anyways another Dan connection um Indiscipline, I love it. The lyrical delivery is fucking cool as hell. Uh, can't find Adrian Ballou's first uh, record yeah. on there, which harkens back to your comments about this stuff is somewhat uh, hard to find, but it, mm-hmm. it lends it an air of like, I'm going to be excited one day when I do find that album somewhere on yeah. CD or vinyl or something. Because uh, when I see it, I'm just going to fucking buy it because I really want to hear Adrian Ballou's first album. Uh-huh. I don't know what's on it. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I just really want to fucking find it and listen to it. And that's going to be a cool moment. So um, the next song to me is kind of like almost like the heart of the album, the centerpiece of the album to me. It's not interesting. My, it's not my like favorite song on the album. I would probably but... call it my least favorite song on the album. <laughs> well, so would I. But like weirdly, this to me is kind of like the uh, 
like the flag bearer of the album. It's hard to explain. It's 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 just the. Uh, it, it's also my least favorite song of the album, but it, it's just kind of like I don't know. Weirdly, it's like this is the. It's one. still a fantastic song. Yeah. There's there's not a stinker on the album. Yeah, it, this okay. I think what it is is this one has the the most character. It has the best story behind it. It's the most like real one out of any of them. It's like the, the Adrian Blue's talking in this one is really cool because yeah. it is. It's he didn't know they were recording and it was a mm-hmm. real thing that happened to him. Yeah, almost but, the the story is he almost got mugged. Yeah. Uh, and he goes back to the studio after he almost got mugged um, and is like telling the band about how he almost got mugged and unbeknownst to him they're recording him as he's frantically explaining the situation and what's funny is because he was out trying to record like he was trying to record like candid conversations yeah uh, right and then in the process was hassled by some guys and they kind of like roughed him up a little bit and then you know having done that and then come back like you said he gets recorded candidly telling the story of him trying to candidly record yeah it's just super legit like you just Uh tell this story and you can't help but like you know uh, empathize for the guy and that's why to me like this one even though yeah it's a little bit it's like a little bit schlocky it's very much a vehicle for that moment Mm -hmm. but that moment's really effective to me well i'll tell you that the thing that bugs me about it um is once again it's a song where Fripp is playing in a different time signature. Hmm. Um, I think the band's in four four, and he is in seven again. But on this one, for some reason, on all those other songs on the album, I'm all about it, and my brain can totally comprehend it and treat it as music. On this one, every time he comes back in with the seven eight, I think it's a mistake. Like. It's, it sounds to me like he's rushing or something. Yeah. Just for like the first time through. And then my brain realizes, oh, here's what's happening. And then it sounds cool. But it's like it every time my brain just has this quick hiccup where I go like, oh, no, he's messing up. Yeah. Wait, no, he's not. Yeah. But it's it's enough to kind of jar me. Yeah. But the bass lines on it. Oh, yeah. Fantastic bass yeah. playing. Beautiful. And Bruford's drumming, once again is kind of in the background. He's p- playing on the octobons, um, and he's just kick-snaring on the, the one and the three, a standard downbeat, but his octobon playing is changing every bar. And he's playing real. It sounds kind of like they have a drummer who's playing a simple thing, and then they have a bongo player. Yes, that's what I It sounds like a I bongo player with yeah. two hands, and it's yeah. just his right hand on the octobons <laughs> playing all sorts of crazy, you know, he talk about a guy who knew all his drum rudiments yeah you know just um like the parts when the guitar is cut out and it's kind of just drums and bass and then mm-hmm. the, the kind of stunt guitar stuff or the sound effect right, guitar right. stuff yeah the the drumming is fantastic um, yeah i'm gonna have to listen at it again because this one to me like his uh like you said the bongo i i legit i actually thought it was two drum tracks going. yeah no that's it's just him um and so effective that he got those kind of bongo-esque sounds just out of his kit. That's incredible. I mean, it totally lends to the jungle vibe. I mean, De La Hungin yeah. Heat is what? Heat, heat, heat in, in the, the jungle. jungle. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good for them. Like, it's good. It's 1981. You're, yeah. You know, what a fuck it. Um, but such a cool one. And it's funny. Um, one thing I actually would tell you, Matt, is if you go listen to this track, 
uh, which is on the Spotify version, the terrifying tale of Thela Hugenji. Um, they do that one a little bit more how they wound up doing Thela Hugenji live, where they play some of the audio, but then Adrian Ballou gets up and does like a, he tells the story in a highly, uh, you know, narrative vibe. You know, uh-huh. he, he's yelling it in the Adrian Ballou style and it's, way more compelling i thought in that style because they still play snippets of the audio uh but it it uh it tends to uh capture you a little more it tends to hook you a little uh-huh. more. not just sitting there listening to five minutes of audio mm-hmm. it's like little snippets and then adrian blue is like screaming about what happened to him and it's like way more effective huh. i haven't listened to that yeah the terrifying tale is to me a, a little bit more effective than thela who um Anyways, super cool one, super effective one to me. Um, the Sheltering Sky. Uh, have you ever played Halo Combat Evolved? No, but it's funny that you bring up a video game because to me, well, I'll let you finish your, your thought first. Well, I ask you because this song gets the award for the first song on the entire podcast that I think could have been put uh, with zero editing into Halo Combat Evolved <laughs> and served as the soundtrack to Halo Combat Evolved. Is that the first Halo? Yes. Okay. Like I've watched people play. Yeah. play. That's the one where you're just like shooting a crap ton of aliens coming at you. Like just yeah. a bunch of little ones running at you the whole well, time. There's more tactics to it than that. It's actually it's a masterfully done game. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not much of a video game guy, but it's funny that you bring up because to me, it sounds like it could fit in the one video game that I played more than any other video game and whose soundtrack I adore and still listen to this day. Um, you ever heard of Spyro the Dragon? Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. 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 To me, it sounds like a Spyro the Dragon track. In fact, there's a specific level. Like like I said, I don't really play video games, but I know the levels in Spyro. I think it's called Dark Hollow. By the way, Stuart Copeland did the music for Spyro the Dragon. What the fuck? Yeah. And he <laughs> Wait, said... really? Yes, and he said it's his favorite music he's ever made dude holy shit yeah. i play it at work all the time i put on the spyro soundtrack it's fantastic the spyro soundtrack is great i go back to it for me the spyro soundtrack um the soundtrack to track to a uh, ratchet and clank 2 and then uh the halo combat evolve soundtrack those are i'm not super into video games but like those soundtracks now i'm not in, i'm not into video games very much but i something interesting i note from that is I know Spyro was a PlayStation thing, and I know Ratchet and Clank was a PlayStation thing, and Halo's an Xbox. So you you're telling me you me. you play both sides of the coin. Well, so the Xbox is a recent addition to my life. <laughs> I grew up in a PlayStation household. Me too. Uh, so like Metal Gear Solid series. Um, Damn, I should figure out some kind of workaround to make an episode about like reviewing a Metal Gear Solid soundtrack. Huh. Metal Gear Solid 2 soundtrack, incredible. Anyways, the Xbox is a recent addition to my life. I power this up maybe once a month, and all I play is Halo. It's pretty rad. Um, and the Halo 1 soundtrack, I could probably send you like two songs from that soundtrack that if you combine them would be like this exact song. Interesting. It's insane. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, the Sheltering Sky. Uh, so I love this cool. song. So cool. Yeah. So cool. I'll yeah. tell you another thing. I don't have many songs like this where I apply them to situations in my life. But 
every time I'm driving up into the Sierras, like to go ski Mammoth, when I get up, like past Bishop towards Tom's place on the 395, once you're getting into the high Sierras and there's snow around you, I put the sheltering sky on. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's like driving through snowy mountains. Maybe it's a little gnarly, like it's snowing kind of hard and you're kind of having to watch the road and yeah. stuff like that's the song for that situation for me yeah dude it's gnarly you say that because like i was saying i you know i put this on while i was commuting and um at about that two and a half minute mark where the guitar suddenly gets that delay on it and they uh -huh. start bringing in the choral yeah uh, the, the little change yeah. yeah um and i'm driving down the 91 and like you know i commute up there it's like 4 a.m and it's like empty freeway at night there's like a certain vibe to that and this starts kind of like echoing out and it's like this atmospheric thing but even driving home when it's like just fucking hot and you see all the mountains around you and it's i mean the ie it's i mean it's not that pretty or anything but there is a vibe to kind of those like uh -huh. the hills and the mountains and the and uh, I, I don't know man it's just yeah it, it's funny like this is a great driving song like i Absolutely. totally feel that yeah, yeah. so good man it's and so as a cool. as a guitar song, I think Fripp's playing. He's doing the solo stuff on it. That that weird uh, melody line, yeah. And then the solo, which one of the coolest thing about Fripp always has been his intervals, like mm -hmm. weird use of intervals. Um, but I think looking at his guitar playing over time, he kind of has periods. He has his early stuff. Um, then he has kind of like the Frippertronics period, uh, then kind of like the heroes stuff. Uh, I think this is like a benchmark song for completely different guitar playing to what he was done before. You can tell where it came from. Like you can hear the Frippertronics in it, but there's no delay on it at all. You know, it's just him playing. Really? Yeah. Damn. Uh, on, on the lead stuff anyways. Okay. 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 Because I was going to say, I feel like on the rhythm part, which maybe uh, Adrian's playing it. He is, yeah. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Because at about that two and a half minute mark thereabouts, yeah, I feel like they hit a delay thing and it starts doing its, well, the a, other it's almost thing, a dotted eighth note kind of thing almost. Like you know what a, that is? There might be some delay, but also Fripp does this thing a lot um, where he's kind of just on one note. Yeah. But he's playing it on two different strings and he's like picking – back and forth between the two strings so picture you're playing i don't know let's say uh an f note and you're playing that on the sixth fret of the b string and the, the first, first fret, fret and you're stretched right. out like that and you're yeah. just going back and forth and you get the different tonality right, between the like two timbre. things yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's the same pitch but there's a different like timbre to it yeah so he's definitely doing that in that song and that's something you can find throughout king grimson he does that that's what he's doing then because yeah. i to me it sounded like it was a delay thing and it was almost a dotted eighth kind of yeah because uh, you know the repeat of the delay is gonna have a slightly different degraded sound compared yeah. to the original and he's but not he's always putting yeah he's, he's just, not always putting the uh the emphasis on, on the same one, you know, right. like almost like picture he's playing paradiddles between the two strings, if you know your yeah, drumming rudiments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Damn, dude. That's a this... very frippy thing to do. Like I said, man, I've listened to this album 10 times. I'm going to have to go listen to it 10 more times. 
That's I. Damn. That's cool as hell, man. It, this is that's cool. And then Bruford's on the tongue drum. You know, right. I don't know if you see what he's playing on that, but I it's haven't like seen that. Yeah. It's like a rectangular box with these like slits in it, and then he's got oh, two mouths. I've seen and, one of those. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Um, fuck, this is a cool song. Yeah, I love um, I love it. Is Fripp on the guitar synth again for that lead part? Is that the Roland or? So Fripp is definitely doing the. Um, God, I'm gonna try to sing it. I guess. How am I gonna say? That's Fripp. But when it but when it changes, uh, am I am I getting dinged for that? Using onomatopoeia, one of the buzzwords. Yeah, so that's Fripp. But then when Fripp starts doing the thing where he's playing the same note on two different strings, and there's the really synthy stuff, that's kind of like descending things. Yeah, yeah. I think that's blue. Okay. That yeah. strikes me as a, a blue type of thing. Yeah, but it could be. It's it's hard to tell, and I think that's on purpose that uh, they kind of they don't really say who's playing what on this album. Yeah, generally you can tell, but they're both doing such weird stuff that like <laughs> it 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 was years before I figured out who was playing the first solo and who was playing the second solo on Elephant Talk. Yeah, like because both of them are bizarre guitar yeah. solos. And, and part of it, too, is, like, I feel like, you know, Robert Fripp is known as, I mean, he's known as Mr. King Crimson, but he's known as the, he plays guitar, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then on this record, it was, it's funny, the very first time I listened to it, I assumed that Fripp was doing all the solos until I learned that he wasn't. And I was like, wow, it's, it's, it's kind of insane that Fripp, like, allowed Adrian to do all these lead parts and stuff, uh-huh. but also so cool. Like it totally speaks to his willingness to sort of throw it all out. He's like, well, that King Crimson is gone. We're doing a mm-hmm. new thing now. And yeah. It's and you know, blue. he throughout King Crimson, he also really wasn't the principal songwriter. Like other guys in the band wrote probably the majority of the songs or they wrote them as a band. Really what, what he kind of called himself a lot of the time was, well, he would say, like, King Crimson is a way of doing things. Okay. And he's just the kind of facilitator. Yeah. So he says what goes and what doesn't go. Um, so if someone brings in a song or a piece of music, he'll go, like, yeah, that's good for King Crimson or no, that's not. But he's not necessarily – he's not like a Zappa guy who where okay. Frank was, like, that's writing everything. Thing. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because uh, it's funny you say that because that, that was my impression in, in just that Elephant Talk live video is very much uh, Fripp was seated. He was in the back. He was in his suit and he was just sort of presiding over the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. He wasn't out in front uh, as maybe Zappa would yeah. be conducting. The he's whole the thing. chaperone. Yeah. He's just there to make sure it all goes according yeah. to plan. Um, and then when he decides he wants to step in and do something, he does something incredible. back folks uh we're talking about discipline king crimson uh we're talking about the album and now the song discipline um this is the last one on the album and um it's fitting that this is the last one because to me this one points to robert fripp's i believe his next project there might have been something in between but um i don't know what do you think of this one what what's his next project as far as I'm aware, his next project is Fripp Summers' 
Oh, fast. okay. Did I introduce you to that, didn't you I? You introduced me yeah. to that, and that's yeah. another great one. This one I've been sitting on this entire episode because it was one you cannot find on Spotify. Correct. Um, this is like a a deep cut. You have to go look for it. Yeah. And I'm so glad you told me to look for it because it's so fucking cool. It's a cool album, yeah. I've, I've like sent it to a number of people. How many of them have actually listened to it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have also been uh, proselytizing the good word of Fripp Summers, I Advance Mass. Now, let me tell you also, here's another one that's hard to find. Right before Discipline, Fripp started another band called The League of Gentlemen. And it he wanted to do a modern dance band. Really? And it's basically like, it's almost a punk band. Like punk drummer, punk guitar player, and uh, organ player, kind of. Ju- but they're generally in four four, and then it's him doing the same kind of really finger heavy guitar work that he's doing on like on Discipline. <laughs> who who was in it? No names. Damn. Like New York artsy punk people. Damn. Yeah, like pe- people you would have met hanging out with Brian Eno. Yeah. So see, okay, this is something I'll say about. Uh, Robert Fripp. Fripp is really, really good at like finding and identifying like new types of guys to make music with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's so good at like when you told me that Robert Fripp and Andy Summers had an entire like instrumental album together, I like I half thought you were fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you go and listen to it and it's fucking good uh-huh it's really cool and that's just that's like everything i hear about robert fripp it's just like yeah did you know he teamed up with like this totally unexpected group of people and made like insanely good music i'm like well yeah now i do like fucking of course yeah that that sounds like that's just robert fripp's thing yeah so anyways discipline mm-hmm. uh like i said earlier on in the podcast the band was originally going to be called discipline um and they took a very disciplined approach to how they were going to write music. And this this song is the result of that. And it's all four band members playing their own parts, note for note, uh, no improvisation, mm-hmm. you know, just a fully through composed piece of different time signatures clashing against one another, just very modern music i like there's barely anything to compare it to other than like music for 18 musicians which is a steve reich piece um which i highly recommend listening to is it like an hour long i might have listened to that piece of music more than any other piece of music period because i play it almost every day at work it's like my clock in to work at 7 30 pop on music for 18 musicians let it play for an hour and it's just these slow changes over time of different little musical phrases that start to diverge from one another was fantastic yeah Yeah. that's that's wonderful man this this one is so satisfying it's like uh that change they do where they go uh, and and where the, when the actually, snare kicks in, yeah, because there's no snare before. Because but here's the thing is I feel like Bruford starts the change before the rest of the band does. Is that right? I feel like he goes to the that kind of double time feel. It's it's not it's 
it, I feel like he goes to that a little before the rest of the before uh, Fripp and um, and uh, I don't know about uh, that. I don't want to argue with you, but I I can't imagine that right now. Okay, yeah. Um, as I recall, there's kind of a so they're playing and Fripp is kind of, he's on the uh, rototom I believe, mm-hmm. and the kick and that fake hi hat uh, mm-hmm. pedal that's mm-hmm. like a ting ting. And that's all he's on. He's not hitting the snare at all. And then they kind of, he hits a crash and the bass stops. And then the two guitars do the the guitar line together. And then it's another crash and they stop in the two guitar line. And then the drums kick in with the snare drum and the bass is playing a different bass lick. Yeah. And that's when the song really yeah. gets going. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like, um, it's hard to explain like you need to hear it 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 is so um it's so like regimented and almost mechanical they're doing this um switching off like it sounds to me like uh almost like in that initial guitar riff um sounds like adrian and fripp are almost um alternating notes like it's almost like it's one guitar part and they're alternating Uh which note is played in the guitar part one of my favorite things it's uh, a band i love a modern kind of prog metal band uh chon does that a lot where they alternate the notes Mm -hmm. funny uh on the first arctic monkeys record they actually do that on one of the songs props Mm. to them sucks that they kind of suck now but you know they were really cool back then anyways i've um, heard maybe one or two arctic monkey songs on k-rock back in yeah like 2010 era that shit's lame bro you got to check out their very first album it's 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 cool as hell they do this alternating guitar thing and it's distorted as fuck kind of like uh, post-punk but still kind of punky and then they they're like distorted as fuck doing this alternating thing it's super cool and then they end the they end the song with like a clean a major seven chord it's like it, they were like a little out there back then anyways you know who's uh, another <laughs> cool band dual guitar um where sometimes not a lot usually one would be playing lead and one would be playing rhythm but sometimes that both be doing these interesting rhythm lines is grateful dead oh okay this is one that I uh, I see Grateful Dead as a like uh, you know gigantic pool that has like a big diving board, and I'm not ready to dive off the diving board yet. For years, <laughs> for years, I wouldn't listen to them, and the stuff I did hear, I hated. And it turns really? out that now I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. I yeah. love Grateful Dead. Um, and it turns out the stuff that I heard at first is still like my least favorite stuff. Uh, so I, I just got unlucky in that the first stuff I heard is the stuff I like the least. But I, I'll give you some Grateful Dead recommendations if you really want, because they're truly fantastic. Yeah, I believe it. I, I respect the hell out of the dead, and, and I, I understand like their their legacy and shit but it like i said to me it's like i envisioned the dead as a very deep pool with a giant diving board and i'm i'm just uh-huh. not there yet you know what i mean it's like that's just such a huge similar to zappa almost you know yeah. it's like this huge kind of thing yeah you know? all all the cool guys who did lots of stuff it makes it hard to get into but rewarding once you do yeah yeah you're just deep in there and and getting it all anyways yeah discipline to me reminds me of uh remember that song off uh i advanced mast it's called like a uh, yellow leader something you know i don't know any of those songs by name okay 
Okay. It was it was the one that I had to like stop and take note of because it was like my favorite one, and it sounds a lot like this one. It's called like Yellow Leader something uh-huh. something. Um. Anyways, it was cool as hell, and it reminded me of this. It's a little more like freeform than this. Um. But it reminded me of this a lot. Yeah. Um, I will that I advanced mask album sounds a lot more Robert Fripp than yeah. Andy Summers. Okay. To me, to okay. me, anyways. Yeah. Like it's like it's. Uh, Summers playing cool stuff, but he's kind of just along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> As you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still sick that Fripp was like, well, he like saw Summers and was like, this guy. Yeah. This guy. He's going to be my next collaborator. Like, that's so cool of him. Um, well, shit, man. That's the album. Um, I have the trivia section for you and some rapid-fire questions. But before we get into that, final thoughts on the album? Uh, well, at the end of the day, uh, this is kind of music journalism, what we're doing. And I always go back to the uh, great Frank Zappa quote that uh, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, go listen to it. Yeah. Like it's all this talk is kind of silly. It's about your ears. So go find it. Don't Spotify it. Go find the dang album and put it on a good stereo and listen to it. Um. And the other main takeaway for me is uh, just how fantastic Bruford's drumming is on it and how he's talked about specifically, and I see this all the time hanging around drummers, how you always hear drummers say, uh, like, what makes a great drummer? It's about playing the song, you know, and they'll do something, they'll say something stupid like, can you imagine Neil Peart? doing drum fills all over hard days night and like that's their argument which i guess there's some truth of that but in modern practice what it's that seems to mean to drummers is that they only care about making the drums work right and they don't care about making the drums matter if that makes sense and bruford can do the gnarliest like he has the fastest drum roll of almost anyone but it's where he puts it it's when he does it sometimes on these songs he is just playing the kick on one and the snare on the three you know literally not doing anything else just kick snare kick snare but he always figures out when to do something unique unexpected new different and he makes the song a lot of the time. Yeah. And he's done that consistently throughout his career. So I, I think more drummers need to stop worrying about making making it work because that just leads to lazy drumming yeah. and yeah. start worrying about making drums matter. Yeah. I agree with that, man. That's, that's funny because uh, in that same Q&A I was talking about, one of the questions I got, one of my favorite questions, someone asked, uh, what is the worst kind of guitar solo? And I promise you I did not plant that question. That was actually a uh-huh. real question. And my answer was the worst kind of guitar solo is a guitar solo to, that does not serve the song. Mm-hmm. Which the, is true. Exactly. Yeah. But the examples I used were, you know, 
Eruption by, by Edward Van Halen serves the song. You can do a literal guitar solo, like uh-huh. the most balls-to-the-wall, bodacious guitar solo ever, but that serves a song. And you look at Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young, it's one note, uh-huh. but it serves the and song. And it's a great solo. It's a great solo. Yeah. Um, you look at, uh, I think it was uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter or possibly Elliot Randall, two incredibly good guitar players, played the guitar solo on uh, Turn That Heartbeat Over Again by Steely Dan. It's the final song on their first album. First album. Um, horrible guitar solo. <laughs> great playing. Uh-huh. I mean, the guitar solo itself in isolation is great guitar solo, but uh, the way it's shoehorned into that song, it's so superfluous. And it's a great solo in itself, but it it, it fails. It fails the song. So I, I totally see what you mean. Like, you don't want to be lazy you don't want to do a one-note guitar solo. Be, oh, Neil Young did one note, so I'm just going to play. No, like, you need to serve yeah, the, the, the reason that that yeah. works is because it kind of is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the point is to be surprising without being detrimental. Yeah, exactly. It's serve the song. It's, yeah, it's, and, and yeah. Exactly. But add something to it. Right. Like, you don't want to just serve the song because that's not doing anything yeah you don't exactly you don't want to be hidden in the background because the solo on turn that heartbeat over again adds nothing to the song it's totally superfluous the song would be better without it that's Mm -hmm. the worst kind of guitar solo yeah yeah and same for drums same for any instrument it's about the song at the end of the day but uh should always be adding something to it uh let's hop into trivia it's time for trivia all right ready for trivia uh, ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Question number one. What year did the album come out? 81. Yes, sir. Bingo. May of 81? Uh, I think that's right. I don't know that, so I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> that might be when it was recorded, but I think it's when it was released. Recorded or released. You said it was a, a quick recording process. Do you know roughly how long that was? I think it? it was a two-week recording Jeez. process yeah and they had only been a band for like a month yeah well i mean but it's tony levin aging i mean it gets to a point where it's kind of like okay yeah fantastic it. musicians yeah. but talk about <laughs> but still, original groundbreaking fuck, material that's right yeah none of those guys had played anything really like this um yeah that's cool as hell anyways uh next question where was the album recorded uh what studio yeah uh Basing Street, yeah, <laughs> which is uh, a cool studio. A uh, couple big albums. I don't know if you looked into it. No. What else has been recorded there? Well, the big one that you're gonna love is Zeppelin Four. No. Yeah. Bro. Okay. Hold up. Hold up. Oh yeah. So Andrew has told me that one of these days I'm gonna have to be in the hot seat on this program, and so I've been squirreling away. Every time I get drunk, I squirrel away like some idea for an album. And right now, the front runner is I'm gonna do a deep dive on Zeppelin Four. Right on. Yeah. Um, is that your favorite Zeppelin album? No. What's your favorite Zeppelin album? My f- okay. So my favorite Zeppelin album at the moment is In Through the Outdoor. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you've never listened to Zeppelin before, and you said John, what? Zeppelin album should I listen to? I'm not talking about that. What's it? I'll I'll listen to what what you have to say, but 
Okay. I want to know what your favorite is. Uh, my favorite at the moment, In Through the Outdoor. Yeah, okay. their final album. Uh, fucking such a cool album. Jimmy Page back on the Telecaster. Uh, they're playing around with genres. They're having fun again. You know, mm-hmm. they're having fun again, and you see a really cool path forward for them into the '80s. Um, John Bonham, of course, passed away. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen, but it's uh, like this really heartening thing to see, like where they probably would have gone. Uh, incredible guitar work by Jimmy Page. Once again, he's back on the telly. He's coming back, you know. And then uh, you see a really rare um, plant, plant JPJ song. Uh, um, Southbound Suarez, actually one of my favorite songs by them, uh, is a Robert Plant, John Paul Jones joint. Um, so really exciting, com- like songwriting combination there that's beginning to emerge. Um, it, it's such a cool album in so many ways to me. And then um, unfortunately they're cut short uh, with John Bonham's death. So mm. I don't know. Lately I've been super into that one. Um, right on. Anyways, uh, okay. Next question: <laughs> How many albums is Tony Levin? estimated to have played on according to wikipedia 82 500 plus dang <laughs> yeah i'm uh out of beer so you want to borrow one of mine no i got oh, I, I have more oh well, in you the have sixer. more i see i see i you're, did not drink a whole sixer you're, you're out of that beer <laughs> yeah okay i see i'm out of the specific bottle that i had been consuming uh by the way one other big album recorded at basing street studio aqualung really yeah jethro toll yeah well did did one of these guys play with jethro toll i don't know i don't think so certainly not classic jethro toll maybe later maybe on Maybe later on they cross paths yeah it's one like of those maybe things. bungle in the jungle jethro toll but not uh Maybe not thick as a brick, Jethro Tull. Call in our uh, listeners. Our lines are open. We're live right now. Uh, there's a slight latency, but if you call in right now, uh, you can let us know what album uh, crossed over between these two bands. Thank you. Okay. Um, next question: What is the capital of North Dakota? No idea. <laughs> Bismarck. Bismarck. Yeah. I should have known that. Yeah, she knew that. How did you know that? I was like Googling it. She knew that shit. Anyways. <laughs> I am not, I'm not good with capitals. Yeah, neither am I. Anyways. I'm um, good at pointing out the states on the map. Yeah. I'm, go- I'm good at that, but I'm not. That's uh, pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm good at it. Okay. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> for the listener, there's another person in the room now. Yeah. <laughs> they might be completely confused by <laughs> what just transpired yeah there's a third person in the room well, we're live we have a live studio audience tonight live from costa mesa it's friday night all right um <laughs> okay uh next question uh where was adrian Ballou assaulted while recording for thelahun ginjit well shoot the studio was in london uh-huh. So I'm going to have to say London. <laughs> That's close enough, yeah. This was in Notting Hill, London, but uh, I don't know where Notting Hill is, so I'll give you uh-huh. London. That's fine. Because it That's tricky, though, because it's so, supposed to be, and he said that it, it was about, like, 
crime in about New York. New York, yeah. Isn't that what he said yeah. in the recording? Yeah. That's why it confused me. Yeah. I, I That's right. In the in recording itself, he's saying like he's trying to explain to the to the thugs what he's doing. He's it's like, crime in New York. It's crime in New York. But he says yeah. the explanation's going nowhere. Going nowhere with them. Yeah. Okay. And then he turns sense. the corner and they're cops. Two policemen. Yeah. How great is that? <laughs> he put a gun in my hand. You're a policeman. Okay. Anyways, that shit's cool. Um, final question. Uh, who did the not work that served as the album cover? There are two answers to this, and I won't accept know. either. I will accept I know. either. You read the dang Wikipedia article. I, read the Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't remember the guy's name, but I know that originally. Look, look, you brought notes, man. You can look. You can. This is an open note exam. So both of these are the the second one. I know that much. Well, I'll accept either. Yeah, that uh, that actually is different. Yeah, that's different than the. Uh, the original one is more. Uh, there's more stuff going on, and they. It's more like square looking, huh? Than that one, I think the original is more of a square shape. Well, it's definitely a circle on the outside, but maybe uh, like the internal the part. Internal okay, might, let me look. Let me yeah, pull I it up. I feel like I have it somewhere. I can't find this guy's name anywhere, so I guess I'm getting dinged. All right, you're gonna get dinged. Um, the the answer is uh, George Bain was the original guy, uh, but then after they got in trouble, Steve Ball. Steve did Ball the, did the. I knew that. Of course, man. That's. I imagine most of the listeners probably knew that one. They're probably shouting at you uh, through yeah. the screen. You know, we have a slight latency here. Unfortunately, the live audience couldn't call in to do the uh, phone a friend feature there. But uh, you know, it's the the pre taped Colin show. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen that Mister Show skit? No. That maybe the funniest Mister Show skit um, is the pre taped Colin show, where they're doing a Colin show, so viewers call in, but they tape it a week in advance. <laughs> And it gets so convoluted because they get people are watching last week's program and they're calling <laughs> in about last week's program. <laughs> yeah, the the Mister Show skit that I that I remember is where uh, I think it's David Cross. No, is it? I don't know. He goes into like audition for a part and he, yeah, he like, yeah. starts the audition. audition. Yeah, the, <laughs> he audition. Does the oh, audition. Oh my god, that's, yeah, so that's a great funny. one. He's like, no, that was part of it. Like. <laughs> Yeah, so pre-tape Colin show is a similar thing yeah. where they're playing. They're, yeah. Hell yeah. That's can I sick. can I use this chair? <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh yes. He's like, don't interrupt. Like yeah. this is part of it. Oh. Okay, um, dude. All right. So that's the trivia. You pretty much crushed it. Um, the last thing I have for you are some rapid fire questions. Uh, these are just sort of stream of conf stream of consciousness uh, word association whatever you want to say um all right you ready yes number one favorite track Ooh, that changes day by day i will say indiscipline nice least favorite track uh fela hun jinjit how should someone listen to this album for the first time um Loud on a good stereo. Uh, don't listen to the first pressing because it has the other version of Mata yeah. Kudasai. Yeah. Um, it's attentive listening. Mm -hmm. It's not wallpaper music. It's music for listening. That's right. You can plead the fifth on this next one. 
Have you ever listened to this album under the influence? Um, does caffeine count? Yeah, it's sure. a drug. Yeah, yeah. Load up on caffeine and listen to King Crimson. Yeah. So I've heard. I don't. I don't. I don't know this, but so I've heard. I mean, I call you, it a drug. If you pound like a cup of coffee, that's like doing like two bumps of cocaine. Like, <laughs> so I've heard from. I have a scientist. Top I scientist. just recently got a kick-ass espresso machine. Really? It's the espresso machine that James Bond uses in Live and Let Die. Really? Yeah. It's a uh, La Pavoni, uh, Italian-made espresso machine that was popular in the 70s. What the hell? Dude, it's I'm gonna super badass. Yeah. yeah, You know absolutely. I'm Italian, right? So I can, like, I've had espresso in Italy, so I'm, I'm going to be the judge of this thing. Yeah, uh, you can absolutely. I'm not claiming to say it makes <laughs> the best espresso. I'm it's saying it's badass. It's the one James Bond. Yeah, that's good enough for me. Um, bonus question. Who's the best James Bond? Uh, I guess it's got to be Sean Connery. Fuck yeah, man. I agree with that. You know, there's like this big movement. People now are like, Timothy Dalton, best James Bond. Like they pick, it was Timothy Dalton and whoever the fuck the other guy was. Um, what was his name? It was like the two guys that only did one Bond film. Timothy Dalton and uh, George, uh, George Lazenby. George Lazenby. I don't even know that name. Okay. There's like a big movement now that like those guys were the best Bonds. And I'm here to tell you that here at Bands, Beers, and Buzzwords, we think Sean Connery is the best Bond. Okay. Anyways, moving on. Well, he's in all the good movies, isn't he's he? He's in all the good movies. I also would have accepted Roger Moore. and He's he's the live and let die one. Yeah. Roger but... Moore is pretty good. Also, I do have a spot, a soft spot for uh, Pierce Brosnan. Frankly. Really? Yeah. Just because really? growing up, growing up, he, he was Bond when I grew up. Uh-huh. So it's, yeah, that's what I grew up with. Um, anyways, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, what do you think they were under the influence of when they made this album? I'd like to believe that they were stone dead sober. <laughs> yeah, bro. They, they all seem like it. The only thing I will say is on the album cover of No Pussy Footing, which is like Robert Fripp and Brian Eno sitting in a room full of mirrors. There is a little coffee table in the corner, and there are some lines of white powder on the coffee table. Okay. You can see it. I like to believe that that's Brian Eno's because he absolutely yeah. seems like he, he would have indulged. Yeah. I In my mind, Fripp was stone cold sober. He seems like the type of guy that would have been stone cold sober. I mean, honestly, all these guys do. None yeah. of these guys strike me as drug type motherfuckers. Yeah, well, um, certainly I've read Bruford's autobiography and he wasn't a partier. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like he couldn't make this kind of music like and that. And of course, y- yeah, uh, Baloo got started with Zappa. The, right. You know, right. Very strict about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bowie is pretty out there. Yeah. So you wonder, but I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, there's the Bowie Eno connection. Anyways, I think you're right. Um, if this album were a beer, what kind of beer would it be? Well, I don't know if it would be a beer over a cocktail. What kind of cocktail would it be? Even though I don't like them, I might say like a gin and tonic. So, I don't know. 
Yeah. Something just really sharp and cutting. Yeah. If I had to pick a beer, I might pick a Stella. A Stella crisp. Artois. Yeah. Um, it's crisp. But really, more than anything, I think it's like it's it's an espresso. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Would you get intimate to this album? No. Yeah. Too, no. No. Fuck that. Um, it's, it's not wallpaper music. It's listening music. <laughs> exactly. You'd have to stop every so often and be like, okay, wait. Did you hear how he just went to six? <laughs> wait, stop. Listen. Okay, he's going to come back around. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, are numbers created or discovered? Uh, discovered. How so? I think it's uh, a priori knowledge. Are you aware of the a priori, a posteriori distinction? No. A priori knowledge is knowledge. I'm going to do a bad job of explaining this, but it's stuff that is inherently true, like regardless of what universe you're in, you know, regardless of what, uh, like the world could be arranged totally differently, but if you pick one apple off of one tree and another apple off of another tree, you're going to always have two apples in your hand. Yeah. Like there's, there's no way whereas like you know this book is red well in another universe this book could be blue like that's a posteriori knowledge but i mean humans have created the symbols Mm -hmm. and the words for the numbers but the num those are just representations of the numbers themselves which are inherent to the cosmos yeah what about like a like a base ten versus base sixty counting system? Well, once again, that's just the that's the way the humans have uh, decided to represent those to numbers. Divvy up the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the numbers themselves are still, you know, Inherent. one and one is eleven. Two and two is twenty-two. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> does a man with one lung get more high? or less high off of one bong rip, assuming one bong rip is a controlled level. That Okay, that's my question. Is is it the same amount of, is it the same volume of smoke? It's, yes, one bong rip is a standard unit of measurement. Then I think that person would get less high because there's less uh, uh, receptors in the lung, yeah. less uh, mucous membranes. Yeah. However, the, the, the uh, chemicals get absorbed there's half as many of them so it would have to be less i dig it final question <clears throat> does a straw have one hole or two holes <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> um one hole because let me ask you this does a donut have one hole or two holes one exactly hole, right? right? It has one hole. So if you were to just make a really thick donut and keep stretching it out and keep stretching out, it starts to look kind of like a straw. Yeah. But you haven't changed the number of holes. That's right. It's one hole. I think you're exactly right. So I try not to be too partisan here, but I think you're exactly right because I think really this is a flawed question. I think it's impossible for a straw to have two holes. I think you could make the argument that it's one hole. And I think you can make the argument that it is infinite holes, but I don't think it's physically possible for it to have two holes. Or no holes. You can kind of make the argument that it's 
not yeah, it's whole. just kind of a Mobius strip yeah. type thing. Like it's it's just a shape. Yeah. Like, <laughs> are you aware of the uh, um, similar line of questioning regarding uh, what the milk and cereal is? No. What do you mean? Like, is it a dressing? The milk. Is it a no, soup? It's, it's the it's the the substrate. What is, what is cereal? Is the... cereal a soup? No, cereal cereal. Is it a salad? No, cereal, it's, cereal. It's, it's its own thing. Cereal, cereal, yeah. It's not a sauce. You don't think the it's milk not a is the sauce. sauce for the cereal? Cereal, cereal. I, I recognize what you're saying. Like, uh, you know, what's the difference between a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios and a bowl of uh, gazpacho, right? Yeah. What's the difference? Where, where does the line get drawn? The line gets drawn because it's a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios versus a gazpacho. Like, come on. Like, come on. Don't don't be naive. Like we know they're different. Listen, you're the one who's like, asking me about freaking that's all one right. long versus two long. That's all, that's all right. That's all right. And I appreciate you're you're the first person who's asked me a question in return, and I'm I'm of the of the mind of uh, I'm of the mind of uh, I guess it would be uh, who Kant where he believes that like yeah like we we should just yeah things are true fuck it like you know uh-huh. there, there are guys who are out there you know you can't know anything you can't what do you mean you can't know anything man nietzsche Mm -hmm. like we fuck people are like oh nothing nothing's real nothing matters i'm like did you get up for work yesterday you did i thought nothing mattered i thought nothing was real like fuck you man like yeah we can sit here and debate this shit i'm yeah okay i'm more of like a come come the fuck on type guy Uh uh-huh yeah i'm a i'm a more come the fuck on like obviously cereal is similar to soup but cereal cereal man I That's, agree. You are done, sir. That's it. Cool. You've passed with flying colors. Um, you've completed the program here. Um, damn, what a cool album. Uh, I think everybody right now should stop and just pause the episode and go look up uh, Discipline by, uh, by King Crimson. Uh, ideally, you go find the thing on vinyl or CD, but... Honestly, any way you can get this thing into your uh, your ear holes, you should just go do it right now. Um, I don't know, man. Any final thoughts on the album? Already kind of gave them to us. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I gave you everything I can give you. Hell yeah. Um, well, dude, it's been a great episode. Um, that was six fuck. Um, damn, hell yeah. Once again, I've been John Paglisotti, Delta Dagger Music on Instagram, Matt. I'm Matt. That's all I'm going to say. Hell yeah. I dig it. Uh, We'll see you guys in two weeks. Adios. Finding Records production. 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 production